0: We continue our sermon series in 1 Peter. Today we'll be in chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. growing up i remember entering a fishing tournament in south florida on the pier in deerfield beach i was young uh, maybe late elementary school maybe early middle school and the, and it would work like this you'd catch a fish you'd run down the pier to the judges table they'd measure your fish they'd record it and you'd go back and fish some more so we're coming to the end of this tournament We're down to like minutes left. And so everyone's trying to catch their last fish, including me. And lo and behold, I catch a fish. I pull it up. I run down the pier to the judge's table, probably down to like a minute left on the clock. Wasn't a huge fish, probably a six inch perch or snapper, I forget. And I'm standing in front of this table and the person behind the table, the judge looks at me, acknowledges I'm there with the fish, but then is busy doing something else. 30 seconds later, This person comes up to the judge's table with a big catch. It's a big fish. The judge looks up, takes that person's fish, measures it, records it, and then announces the tournament's over. And I'm standing there with my fish in hand, feeling absolutely devastated, angry, frustrated, in my heart going, this is so incredibly unfair. It was my, it's my first memory as a child of experiencing injustice. Now, that's trivial. At the time, it wasn't. The time I was livid. Doesn't take long in this world for a child to figure out that this is an unjust world. Things don't happen that are fair. And the question that begs is how do you respond or how are you supposed to respond in the face of injustice? And what empowers you to respond well or to live faithfully in the face of injustice? Now, before we talk about these three truths that empower you to live faithfully, I want to define what does it mean to live faithfully? What does it mean to respond well? Now, according to this passage in verses 13 and 18, Peter says it surrounds this idea of being subject to. That word means to submit. In verse 13, it says to every human institution. Now, slightly misleading, that word institution literally means every creature or creation. This is about submission to people, right? not ultimately to an institution. Peter says you're to honor and to respect People who, well, he says the emperor or the king or the president, he goes on to say or governors or household masters. In other words, you honor and respect those in authority over you. But not only that, Peter takes it a step further. In verse 15, he says by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So it's not just honor and respect, but he says, no, I want you to even go further than that. I want you to do good. I want you to go above and beyond to do good to those that are in authority over you. I want you to to benefit them. I want you to do things that will benefit the world around you. It really speaks of what we hear in Jeremiah's letter, the prophet Jeremiah to the exiles when they're in Babylon. When Jeremiah says, or the Lord says through Jeremiah, seek the welfare of the city or seek the good of the city to where I've sent you. Now, this is all in good. This is all good until you really understand the city or the culture in which God's people are receiving these letters. So think about Jeremiah's letter. God's people are in Babylon. Babylon was a bitter enemy of Israel. The Babylonians had gone in Jerusalem and violently and unjustly ripped God's people out of their home and took them to Babylon. Those receiving this letter here from Peter are living in the control or under the control of the Roman government, the Roman Empire, in which at this time, probably the Emperor Nero was in charge. And years later would institute this massive persecution against Christians, against followers of Christ. And then you get to verse 18 when Peter says the call really is to submit to Not just good leaders, but unjust leaders. To to endure unjust treatment. To submit, to respect, to do good to people that would treat you unjustly. Now, you should be asking a question at this point. And it's the same question that the hearers of Peter are asking. How How in the world am I supposed to submit to, respect, honor, do good, go above and beyond to people who are treating me unjustly when everything in you wants to get revenge, when everything in you wants to make them or
1: pay them back? How in the world can you do that? What empowers you to honor, respect, and do good
0: in the face of injustice? First, freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Right, the key to living faithfully in the face of injustice is freedom. Now, why and what kind of freedom is Peter talking about here? Well, this verse 16 shows this. This isn't freedom or this isn't absent or a freedom from, a, from constraints. This is finding the right constraints. Christian freedom is not a release from service, it's a change in mastery says that you're no longer controlled by an earthly master, you're controlled by Christ. And now, can you imagine how amazing this was for these household slaves to hear in the first century? What Peter was saying to them is, you're no longer enslaved by your master, you're enslaved by Christ. You're no longer forced to serve your master. You now are free to voluntarily serve your master because you're enslaved to Christ. You can no longer be humiliated by your master because you have humbled yourselves in obedience to Christ. You're free by honoring and respecting, doing good, enduring in the face of unjust treatment The chain of bondage is broken in the power of Christ. Peter is simply here teaching what his master, Jesus Christ, taught him in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, when Jesus says, love your enemies. Love those who treat you
1: unjustly. And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return.
0: If you aren't functionally free in Christ, meaning that you're not functionally controlled by Christ, then you will be enslaved to the person who has hurt you or treated you unjustly. You know how that works, right? Somebody treats you unjustly, somebody hurts you, and all you can do is think about revenge or retaliation or getting them back or making them hurt. So not only have they hurt you, not only have they unjustly treated you, but now you're enslaved to them through the hurt that they've caused you. Peter says, live as free people. Free in Christ. You're empowered now to serve those
1: who have hurt you. You're free to serve those who have treated you unjustly people
0: who you have no obligation to serve and people who don't deserve to be served. In 1948, a band of communists came through the town of Pastor Yang Wong's son, pastored a church in this town, and the communists came through, and they locked the town down. They took control of it, and they executed the two pastor's sons, Matthew and John. And after they executed the pastor's sons and, and, and finally were, they were finally pushed out of town, there was a young man in the village, his name was Chai Son, and he was identified as the one who had murdered the pastor's sons, the one who had actually pulled the trigger in killing Matthew and John. And so Chai Son was sent to be executed. And Pastor Son, in a shock to everyone, requested that Chai's son be
1: released into the custody of the pastor and his family for adoption. And the
0: courts were wavering on what to do. And then the, the pastor's daughter, Rachel, a 13-year-old girl whose two brothers had been murdered, stood up and testified to defend what her father was asking for, and that's what turned the table. And so the courts released this young man, Chai Sun, into the pastor's custody. He became the son of the pastor. And he became a believer in the grace of Jesus Christ. See, free in Christ, with Christ as your master, you're free to serve. You're free to honor, to respect, to do good to those who have treated you unjustly. Freedom in Christ. That's the first truth that empowers you to live faithfully in an unjust world. But second, not only freedom in Christ, but second, calling from Christ. A calling from Christ. Look at verse 19. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows when suffering unjustly. Verse 20, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. But then the shocking statement in verse 21. For to this you have been called. For to this you have been called. Peter is not calling for stoic resignation in the face of suffering. He's actually saying it's a calling. That suffering is a calling. Now, think about the word calling. What do we typically talk about when we talk about calling? Talk about career or vocation or what am I supposed to do with my life? How often do we think of suffering as a calling?
1: And yet that's exactly what it's being defined as here. That suffering is a calling. And not just for a few, but for all believers. Now,
0: the key question is why, right? This is a a hard command, right? And I acknowledge that. We all acknowledge that. So why? Why is it a calling? Look at the rest of verse 21. For to this you've been called because. Here's Why? Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Christ suffered for you so that you can suffer for Christ. Christ suffered for you. At the, at the beginning, this is not an example. He suffered for you, substitution. He did what you couldn't do. He died a death to pay the penalty for your sins. He substituted himself in your place. And when you believe that, and when you receive Christ, and you believe he did that for you, then you're empowered to now suffer for him or to follow in his steps, his example. Now, the word for example here in 21, it was used to describe a pattern of letters in an alphabet that a child would trace over when they were learning to write. Right? Now, those of you here that are children, those of you that are no longer children but were at one time, you remember that. You remember the sheet of paper and the letters that had just dotted lines, and you were supposed to trace over the lines to complete the letter. And of course, when you first started doing it when you were really young, you didn't do a good job. Pretty sloppy. But as your hand-eye coordination improved, as you did it more and more, you got to where you could trace right over the letter,
1: exactly over the letter. Jesus Christ left us a pattern over which we trace our lives. Jesus is the paradigm by which we
0: write in large letters, the gospel, in our lives. Jesus is the pattern. The past suffering of Christ is the present condition of believers. The present glory of Christ is the future glory of believers who follow in the steps of a suffering Christ. Not only is unjust suffering a calling, but we see in verse 20, it's a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's a gracious thing. That means that when you are in the midst or you're experiencing unjust suffering,
1: you are swimming in the current of God's grace. It's a favor of God. It's a gift of God.
0: Helen Rosevere was a British medical doctor who served for many years as a missionary in Zaire in Africa. And during the, the revolution of the 1960s, she was persecuted a lot. She suffered unjustly. She was physically tortured. And she was at one point on the verge of losing her life, of becoming a martyr for Christ. And it was in that moment where she was about to be executed that she began to wonder in her heart and mind, has God forsaken me? She describes in that moment what she heard or what she sensed from the Holy Spirit. This is what she sensed from the Spirit 20 years ago. You asked me for the privilege of being identified with me. This is it. Don't you want it? This is what it means. These are not your sufferings. They are my sufferings. All I ask of you is the loan of your body. and it was in that moment where she was struck with the reality that serving Christ meant suffering for him that she was actually delivered she didn't die and then she wrote later reflecting on that experience with God this is what she said he didn't stop the sufferings he didn't stop the wickedness the cruelties the humiliation or anything it was all there the pain was just as bad. The fear was just as bad. But it was altogether different. It was in Jesus, for him, and with him.
1: People read this passage of Scripture and get hung up on slavery.
0: This is a passage of Scripture that people read and say, yep, there it is. The Bible endorses slavery. Or there it is. The Bible endorses the oppression of the powerless. In fact, in the American South, there were those who used this passage to justify owning slaves. Now, let me just say, that is the most horrific misinterpretation of this passage. Peter is not endorsing slavery. Peter's not endorsing the oppression of the powerless. Peter is actually doing just the opposite. He is speaking incredible dignity into the lives of these young believers. He is just merely speaking into a cultural situation. And he's speaking incredible dignity into the lives of these young believers who are in the midst of harsh oppression. You say, how? How's he doing it? Well, he he points them to Christ. He points them to Christ. The Son of God dignified the lowliest in society by becoming just like them in his incarnation.
1: Jesus was seemingly so powerless that he was sent to be crucified like a slave.
0: See, unjust suffering is not evidence that God has forsaken you. Unjust suffering is evidence that God has chosen you and called you. what empowers you to live faithfully in an unjust world? First, it's freedom in Christ. Second, it's calling from Christ. But third, it's justice through Christ. Justice through Christ. Look at verse 22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Even when you embrace your freedom in Christ, that you're now controlled by Christ, even when you embrace that that Christ calls you to suffer, there's still a lingering question when it comes to injustice. Is that person that hurt me? Is that person that sinned against me? Is that person that treated me unjustly going to get off the hook? Are there any consequences for them? Do they get off free? Is the cry for justice in my heart ignored? And the answer is no. In fact, the cry for justice in your heart is God-given. It's how justice gets accomplished that's the issue. And typically, when we've been treated unjustly, unfairly, the immediate response is revenge or retaliation, or it's to... It's to stretch the truth or to, to put my opponent in bad light or to speak critically or abusively or to threaten. That's the natural response to the cry for justice in our hearts. And yet we see here that Jesus, again, as the example, did just the opposite. And if there was an example of unjust treatment in the history of our world,
1: It was Jesus Christ. He suffered for doing good. He was treated unjustly. He was perfect. And yet,
0: as he made his way to the cross and as he hung on the cross, he didn't sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. He didn't revile, which means he didn't abusively or criticize, or critically talk against those who were persecuting him, causing him to suffer, putting him to death. He didn't threaten. He entrusted himself
1: to him who judges justly. Justice will be served. Every last sin will be paid for in this world.
0: No one, no one can escape the justice of God. Paul writes it this way in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. President Mobutu reigned as the president of the Congo from 1965 to 1997. Towards the end of his reign, the country went into chaos. He was booted out of power and then injustice and violence just took over. Mark Maynell was a British pastor at the time, and he recalls a discussion he had with his friend Emma, who was a man, African man, who was there when all this went down. And he, he began telling Mark Maynell of what he saw, the injustice, the violence against his family and friends, and Emma with his family fled, fled eastward on foot. Weeks later, they, they landed as refugees in Uganda, and it's there that in Uganda, he was walking by this local seminary and he felt since the Lord calling him into ministry and that's what connected him with this British pastor. And they were sitting in this tiny library, this little tiny seminary in Uganda. And Emma was telling this pastor of the atrocities he had seen. And he began to weep, which was very uncommon for an African man in public. But then he remembers these sobering Words that Emma spoke. He said this. You know, Mark, I could never believe the gospel if it were not for the judgment of God. Because I will never get justice in this world. But I couldn't cope
1: if I was never going to see justice done. Now, we're in the middle of civic unrest, civil unrest, racial tension
0: in our country. That word injustice is at the top of the headlines. And I will say that there is always injustice in our world.
1: It manifests in different ways, but it always exists. How does this passage
0: shape the way that you respond to injustice. I believe there's there's two ways, two takeaways on how you respond. First, injustice will always exist until Jesus returns. Now, that doesn't dismiss what has happened, what's happening. Nor does it say that you shouldn't pursue reform or pursue justice. The passage is not teaching to not do that. But what it does say is that there will never be perfect justice in this world until Jesus returns. And so, if you are setting your hope on or your expectation on justice being perfectly served, then Ultimately, you will end up either bitter or angry or depressed or some combination of
1: those. The courts get it wrong sometimes, authorities get it wrong sometimes. But perfect
0: justice has come and will come. Say, so how do we know that? Look at verse 24. He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree. By his wounds, you have been healed.
1: That says that if you have trusted Jesus Christ, that justice
0: has been served on your crimes against God and others. And that says justice will be served on others who commit crimes against God and against you and against others. That God's righteous wrath will fall on the person or on Christ in that person's place if they repent and turn to Jesus. Justice will be served. The second way this passage shapes how you handle injustice, is this. Peter's primary focus in this passage is not on reforming the societal structure in the Roman Empire. Nor does that seem to be the primary focus of most of the New Testament writers. Now, that does not mean that that you don't pursue reform, that you don't pursue justice. But what it does say is that that is not the primary concern. The primary concern is the transformation of your heart regardless of the situation. The primary concern is the transformation of your life, of your heart, in the face of injustice that God transforms you through it. And actually as that happens and you honor and you respect and you do good to those who hurt you or treat you unjustly, that that's actually the way that the world's ways are broken and changed. Miroslav Volf, he's a, theologian from Croatia, he writes this, and I think he gets it when he says this. The call to follow the crucified Messiah was in the long run much more effective in changing the unjust political, economic, and family structures than direct exhortations to revolutionize them would have ever been. For an allegiance to the crucified Messiah Indeed, worship of a crucified God is an eminently
1: political act that subverts a politics of dominion at its very core. Are you angered by injustice? Is bitterness growing in your heart because of how somebody's hurt you? or treated you
0: unjustly, or continues to treat you unjustly?
1: Do vengeful thoughts consume you? Turn to Christ. Turn to Christ. He will free you from your bitter enslavement. He will call you into the sweet fellowship of his suffering. And he will
0: remind you that he has accomplished justice and
1: that he will perfectly accomplish it when he returns. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we live in an unjust world, Every
0: one of us at some point in life, maybe even now, are experiencing that, being treated unfairly, being hurt, being treated unjustly, and we confess our our natural response to want to get back, to want to
1: take revenge, to want to retaliate. Yet you call us to something very different. You call us to submit,
0: to honor, to respect, to do good to those who hurt us, to those who treat us unjustly. You call us to that because Jesus, you were treated unjustly in our place.
1: You suffered while doing good for us. Father, would you, Help those who right now are in the incredibly hard place of suffering unjustly. Oh, Father, like Helen Rosevere, that British
0: medical doctor in the mission field who sensed your Holy Spirit speaking very specifically to her, would you speak to those that are suffering in this way? And would you help them to see that their suffering is not evidence that you have forsaken them, but it's evidence that you have chosen them, that you have called them, and that justice will be served. Would you help us to entrust ourselves to you, Father, the one who judges justly. And would you fix our eyes on Jesus The author and perfecter
1: of our faith. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.